Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello and welcome back to Citizen Dame, the podcast where four women critics talk about everything that's good and bad and really, really bad in Hollywood. And this is episode 18, and we are, let's see, I'm Karen Peterson, joined today by Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. Kimberly Pierce. Hello. Kristen is not with us today. She is apparently robbing a bank or something, so we miss her, (laughs) but (laughs) hopefully she's going to, you know. Do some good. But anyway, um, we are joined today by our very first guest, and we're so excited. We have Yolanda Machado here. So, Yolanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Yolanda. I am a freelance film critic, journalist, and blogger. I have my own site called Sassy Mama in LA, and I write for a ton of sites. <laughs> Uh, I am a Latina mom based in LA, uh, have three cats, a dog, a turtle, a future zoo. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So what are, uh, what are some of the sites you write for? You can go ahead and shout them out. It's okay. Oh yeah. Uh, I write for Harper's Bazaar, um, Remezcla, Hip Latina. I just started freelancing with Collider and Mary Claire, uh, I've also done stuff for Broadly and um, entertainment on parenting sites like Babbel and Mom.me. And I used to do CBS LA and HuffPost. Like, I can go on and on and on. <laughs> Basically, if you're on the internet, chances are you will come across something by Yolanda. Something Basically. awesome, because she is awesome. So, <laughs> she's you. You're a lot of fun to follow on Twitter, too, I gotta say. Like, your, your insights, you're, you're funny, you're smart, you're great, so... Thank you. Yeah. I like to describe myself as a very loud-ass Latina mom with blue hair. And that's why you're <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, we are going to start off this week with a question. Uh, this was just kind of a funny thing that Kristen and, and Lauren and Kim and I were talking about the among the four of us. Um, I can't remember even how it started, but we, we just started talking about some like fun people that were following us on Twitter that we were kind of excited about. So who is someone that's following you on Twitter that just makes you like, yeah, that's so cool. Um, I'm going to start. So this was kind of funny, like a week or two ago, I posted something from Award Circuit, which is where I normally am, and it was Virgil Williams had done an op-ed for us about what the 2017 film year meant for him. And so I retweeted it, and then he started following me, and I was like, oh, that's really cool, you know? And he he's the screenwriter that, that wrote Mudbound, and so then I was at an event the other night, and he was there, and I went, and I just wanted to introduce myself, and as soon as I said my name, he's like, hey, I'm following you on Twitter! And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool! Like, it was a sincere follow. Like, he actually was aware that he did that, so I was excited about that. So, uh, Lauren, how about you? Uh, well, my, my two favorites are... Um... I think it was, it wasn't last year, it was the year before uh, at the New York Film Festival. I got to see the 13th, 
with like a oh. Q&A afterwards with um, Ava DuVernay. And I just like, I loved the film so much. And I kept on talking about it on Twitter. And at some point, Ava DuVernay followed me. Oh my gosh. And I was like, this is the greatest moment of my life. Please never unfollow me. Um, so yes, that was very exciting. And the, the other one is Sam Neill. For some reason, Sam Neill follows me and that ma- it just makes me incredibly I happy. I love Sam Neill. I love he's his like tweets. The, he's, he's, one of, he's, he's one of the few that I'm just like, you have to be okay. You yep. have to be a good person. Like, please. Exactly. So, yeah. Kim, how about you? Uh, probably my my most favorite is Ethan Embry. Uh, all the '90s kids out there probably remember. Can't hardly wait. Long time crush from those days, and I watched the Dragnet reboot for him alone. That was <laughs> some, somewhere along the line, he started following me, and he follows a lot of people. But man, it it makes me happy. That's awesome. How about you, Yolanda? Oh, I I have some pretty cool followers. Actually. I know you do. Um, my I mean, I'm going to be top three right now is Chrissy Teigen. Um, She followed me. I don't know when, but when I realized it, I like completely freaked out. I was like, oh my God. The funny thing is I've actually met and talked to John Legend, but I've never met and never talked to Chrissy (laughs) Teigen before at all. But that's my goal one day. And then um, Lady Gaga. (laughs) wow yeah lady gaga follows me and uh i didn't notice that she followed me until i watched her documentary and i was gonna tweet at her something because i don't know if you guys have seen it it's on netflix it is amazing like especially everything that she goes through and she's so open with it and a lot of celebrities of her status don't you know share that much mm-hmm. um and my mom is actually living with fibromyalgia as well so I wanted to tweet at her and that's when I realized I'm like oh my god she's following me and I I think I was glowing for like weeks after that <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that is awesome and then um I I also share a- Ava DuVernay and uh I actually was at a screening with her and I was terrified to go talk to her, even though I was like, well, we follow each other. I have that opening. And then <laughs> she like left. So. <laughs> she, she just seems like such a cool person. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like she'd be incredibly nice, but also be like very daunting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Fun. So, okay, cool. Well, this week uh, we had a couple of awards big awards come out we had last last sunday was the golden globes and i'm still trying to pull up the results right here here we go all right so we had some not a ton of surprises there were a few that were like oh yeah okay on the tv side rachel brosnahan won um, for best actress in a tv musical or comedy for the marvelous mrs Maisel. do you guys watch that show I'm yes. just getting into it. I love it. Though. I started this week and I was like, why did I wait? This show's awesome. I yeah. love it. I actually watched it in the pilot when so what Amazon does if you're a prime member is they put all the shows up for uh, like just the pilot episodes and essentially if you're a prime member you could I don't remember exactly, but you could upvote it like do you want to see this turned into an actual uh, full season do you want to so I caught I like to say I caught it really really early and only because I love Amy Sherman Sherman Palladino I'm a huge Gilmore Girls fan so I was like I'm gonna watch it and of course I upvoted it as soon as it was done I was like I need to know what happens mm-hmm. and I 
kind of killed the entire season, ignoring my child and my pets and my husband. And <laughs> Sometimes you have to do it. Exactly. <laughs> Sacrifices must be made. Exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a fun show. I really like it a lot. And it also won um, Best TV Comedy, so that was exciting. Um, Best Actress for a TV Drama went to Elizabeth Moss for The Handmaid's Tale. Big Little Lies had a not surprisingly big night with Nicole Kidman, Laura Dern, and Alexander uh, Skarsgård all winning, plus the show won a limited series. And I was like, okay, so it's won Emmys, it's won Golden Globes. Why don't we just, like, make the Oscars change their rules and just throw it into the Oscar conversation, too? Because I love that show so much. Do you guys watch that? Did you watch it? No. I have not. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. So I good. have. I. <laughs> it was the one that I had to watch. Like, I'm very picky with TV because it's like once I'm in it, I am in it. And mm-hmm. that was one of my every week. I was like, damn it, I have to wait a whole other week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's so funny because I never I always liked the week by week thing. And then streaming started. And now I'm like, I don't oh, yeah. wait seven whole streaming days. Spoils you. <laughs> it does. It really yeah. does. But then once when stuff is streaming, you watch it and it's like, okay, I'm done, but other people haven't had a chance yet. So I, nobody else has caught up to me or I'm not caught up to everyone. It's, it makes it hard. It's like nice in some ways, but it's, it takes some of the community out of it, I think. But. Yeah. I had to wait for all my friends to catch up because yeah. I usually binge everything. So my friends are like, I'll just watch it in a few months. I'm like, I need to talk about this. Watch it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This is dropped already. How are you not done? <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's see. On the film side, so we had um, Allison Janney won Best Supporting Actress for I, Tanya, which surprised a bunch of people because they really thought it was going to go to Laurie Metcalf for Lady Birds. So it went to Allison Janney. And did we, we didn't, did we talk about I, Tanya on the show? I don't remember what you guys thought of it. We've, we've mentioned it we off and honestly. Yeah. What did you guys think of Allison Janney in that role? I love her. I mean, I, uh, I, I think I've been saying for a while now that it, it either has to be Allison Janney or Laurie Metcalf for Best Supporting Actress. Um, I both of them are so good, but you know, I mean, we're, we're just gonna have to wait and see what actually winds up happening. But I, I love Allison Janney in that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, I loved Itania, and yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. She was at another level. I thought. <laughs> What about you, Yolanda? Oh, yeah. No, I really uh, enjoyed the movie. Like, it changed. I didn't think it would change my mind as much on a lot of things because I, I remember everything that was going on. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I might be older than you guys. Like, I'm turning 40 this year. <laughs> we are exactly and... the same age. I am not a year older than you at all. <laughs> <laughs> So I remember the whole controversy and the narrative that was shaped around her. So when I watched the movie, I had this, I will say I had this one way of thinking and I was like, what the hell is this movie going to do? Like, what is it? And then I watched it and I was like, oh, I suck. Oh, I know. When she makes that comment, I can't remember exactly the line of dialogue. I should have looked it up. But when she makes that statement about how she was, you know, she was abused by, by her mom and then by us. And I was like, oh. I was part of that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was such Same, a especially like, viewer to that. When heart. I, yeah, especially because I'm like, I always tell I'm such a proud feminist. I've always been that way, and the fact that 
I actually judged a, a woman and, and it was so incredible. I mean, in the end, n- none of us really know what happened, right? Like overall, like, cause she's changing the story now. I read, I saw yeah. an interview where <laughs> she said that interview. she, exactly where she might've known. It's like, wait a second. We love you right now. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Allison Janney was phenomenal in that role. And like, I love her and I completely hated her. So she did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she's fascinating to watch. And at the same time, you're like, you're a horrible human being, but I want to see you on screen. Yes. Like it's, it's that that's combination. That's just very, it's very seductive. And I, I, and you know, spoiler alert, I love the fact that she doesn't get any redemption. There's no, you know, like, actually I always loved you, Tanya. You know, it's, it's just like, no, he's always horrible. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There was it makes no it good way more believable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And if you did watch that 2020 interview, it did show current new interviews with Lavana Golden. And it's like, yeah, she's still the same way. She denies ever abusing her daughter, but she's still very, like, just gruff. And there is, like, just no love in that woman's heart. So <laughs> it's interesting. So, uh, yeah. So. That was Allison Janney, one for Itania, Sam Rockwell, one for Three Billboards, and Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and of course Three Billboards is divisive and getting more so by the day, it turns I out. I hate <laughs> Three Billboards with a passion. I hate it. So you and Kristen have a lot to talk about. Oh yeah. <laughs> I keep going back and forth on it, so I don't I don't know how I feel, but... I still need to rewatch it. Yeah, That's, my... Yeah. My feelings are getting more and more complicated the further away I'm... The more that I've been listening to other people talk about it and and the further away I've gotten from actually having seen it, I'm like, there are things that I really like and things that are really not okay. Mm -hmm. No, I I just wanted it all in the garbage. I think it's altogether terrible. The performances, I mean, Frances McDormand and Sam Rockwell, yeah, they're fantastic. So is Woody Harrelson. Mm -hmm. But they're great actors. They're going to be great no matter what. Right. This is a script about middle America that uh a brit i think he's got british and irish citizenship he wrote it based on a trip he took 20 years ago in middle america i did not know that yeah so this is his interpretation of how america looks like from a trip he he cross-country drive he did 20 years ago how the hell is that divisive or woke or whatever it's supposed to be now? It's not. It's trash. It's garbage people doing garbage things. Uh, I don't care uh, about any of them. And I could give a crap if either any of them are redeemed or not. They are terrible people. And none of them should be seen as, well, maybe. See, he tried to do a good thing. No, he's a terrible person. Period. <laughs> exactly. And we will leave it on that because that was perfectly exactly. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> Unless anyone has a rebuttal. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I, I, oh, I, do, I don't agree, but I, I understand the point. Definitely. Okay. Fair enough. That's, that's, that's what I'll. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> speaking of, so Frances McDormand won Best Actress in a Drama for Three Billboards as well. And... And Best Actor in a Drama went to Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. And I love Gary Oldman. And so, yay. Well deserved. (laughs) It absolutely was. He was phenomenal in that role. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then on the comedy side, 
Best Actress in a Comedy. Wasn't it oh. Saoirse Ronan? Yeah. It was Margot it was, Robbie, it wasn't was... it? Wait. <laughs> Hold on. Best Actress in a Comedy? <laughs> Best Actress yes. in a It was It was comedy. Saoirse, wasn't it? Saoirse Ronan. Oh, no, it yes, was Saoirse, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm like, so many things have happened and I've been so immersed in news that I keep like getting things all out of order. So Saoirse Ronan won for Lady Bird, which was very exciting for her. Um, and we did talk, we had an episode about Lady Bird, right? Yeah. I've talked so many times about that film, I can't even remember. Yolanda, what did you think of Lady Bird? It was all right. I, I mean, I'm writing an article for Mary, Mary Claire right now, but I think it was okay. I mean, but I think it shares many similarities with a very beloved film of mine, which is, uh, Real Women Have Curves. Mm -hmm. So I have a, a few issues with that, but, um... I liked it fine, and if you mushed Real Women Have Curves and Lady Bird, I think you'd get a lot of uh, the experience of a Latin American woman in the United States and how she grew up, because there's a lot of Dave Matthews band in my past, and (laughs) a lot of East L.A. and Boyle Heights and stuff also. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. You know... I still have a little bit of a soft spot for Dave Matthews band, so and I will never apologize for that. Girl, I followed them for three or four years every summer, so <laughs> I hear you. There you go. <laughs> um, let's see. Best actor in a comedy went to James Franco. Best director went to <laughs> Yes, I skipped over that quickly for a reason. <laughs> We're just gonna glide over. <laughs> um, yeah, so James Franco won Best Actor in a comedy. Which, in that moment, I was like, yeah, awesome. But at the same time, it's surrounded by a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about a lot more in a few minutes. So, uh, Best Director was Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. And I was so thrilled. I First of all, I love The Shape of Water. Second of all, I love Guillermo del Toro. He just seems like the sweetest man alive. And I was so happy. And when he was crying, I was crying. I was just like, oh my gosh, I love you. So uh, what did you guys think of that for Guillermo? I, this is Yolanda, I loved it. When I heard his name called out, I jumped up here and just, <laughs> yes, he is. I've interviewed him two or three times, once uh, a long time ago for the Book of Life where he was just a producer, and then I interviewed him for The Shape of Water, and this is such a passion project of his. So when it won the award, like, just knowing that he put his soul into this project, how much that award means to him now, it's, I don't know, I got chills, and it's a beautiful story, and I feel really sad when people say they don't get it because I'm like, oh, but I don't I mean, I don't argue because it's like, OK, you have your vi- your own vision of it, but mm-hmm. it's beautiful and you're wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Definitely. I He was definitely the most deserving of all of those directors that are the ones that were nominated. I mean, I've got I got my own problems about who got nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, actually getting um, Del Toro was definitely the the MVP there, and he he does he deserves recognition. He deserves so much more recognition than he gets. Yeah, uh, and it was wonderful to finally see that. Exactly, Kim. Any thoughts? I'm I'm right there as well as well. Kind of most of my thoughts were my issues with who was nominated. Um, 
yeah, of that group, you know, it's I I'm right there with everybody and I have really two or three favorites kind of this year who were all right up neck and neck I would have been ecstatic to see any one of them but Guillermo was just so deserving and it's, I was glad to see that yeah absolutely the thing that's interesting well there's two things that I have just really thought were interesting with this film particularly and what he did I got to talk to a couple of the um I got to talk to the cinematographer the editor and I mean I know that this is their job and they have a film to promote but these guys love Guillermo del Toro they love him they are inspired by him they just said nothing like not one single negative thing about him they Mm -hmm. just talked about how he's such a dream to work with how he's very collaborative and very involved but not like to the point of being overbearing he's you know he's just awesome and I was just like that is exactly what you need in a director and then Mm -hmm. the other thing with this film is that they made it with a budget of about nineteen and a half million dollars. It does not look like that. <laughs> no, Guillermo gave up his salary. Yeah. Yeah, he gave yeah, it up. Huh? Yeah, he he said he wanted to put it right back into the production when they think they're like we're gonna go over budget. He's like, well, take take, take my salary, take it, and they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's how Good much he loves this film, and it's so amazing. And when you know that they made this for less than $20 million, and it looks like an $80, $90 million production. It's so big it's and beautiful. bold and beautiful. beautiful. And, yeah. yeah, I still can't believe they were going to make that in black and white. <laughs> it's crazy. So, mm. But yeah, so I was thrilled for that. So I'm glad that we all were. So, And then uh, best, let's see. Best picture comedy was Lady Bird. That was that was interesting race because it was a little bit like I I don't know. In the last minute it kinda seemed like it might have gone a different direction. I Tanya was right in there, but Lady Bird pulled it out. So that was awesome for Greta Gerwig. That was exciting to see. Mm-hmm. So and then um, Best Motion Picture Drama, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> We all have feelings. Many <laughs> like, feelings. <laughs> yeah. I you know, that actually I'm gonna say, whether you like the film or not, I was really surprised at that director picture split. I'm really surprised that they rewarded yeah. Guillermo del Toro with best director and then his film did not win. That well, see I have a theory about that. <laughs> Please share. Well, yes, I mean, you, if you see it, if I mean, the past Oscars, they've awarded Best uh, Director to um, what Alejandro Iñárritu and okay. um, what's his name? I forgot. I'm blanking right now. But Gravity, uh, Alfonso Cuarón, yeah. yeah, and Guillermo del Toro, and so they love, love, love our Mexican directors, but for some reason they don't welcome their movies as much. Um, they love the vision, but it's, it kind of just seems like a kind of little pat on the back, like, oh, that, that was very nice of you to tell. Here's an award. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. Like, I kind of, I wish, like, for me personally, like, I, I think out of all the movies that might be up for Oscars right now, I think The Shape of Water will get a nomin- nomination, and it deserves it. I don't think it deserves Best Picture this year, though. E- but the Academy has its own thing, and I wish that they recognized um, diversity the way as much as they're saying that they do now. Mm-hmm. But they, 
always welcome the Mexican directors, but they've never been like, hey, we love your movie so much. It's best picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I don't know what's going to happen with the Academy. Like, there are probably four films that are vying for best picture right now. Like, really yeah. have an, a shot at winning. And it's... I mean, The Shape of Water is in there, but it's weird because nobody is considering that a frontrunner, but they're considering it, like, a likely contender for at least 10 or 11 Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's interesting to have a film that could get 10, 11, it possibly could get up to 13 Oscar nominations, and no one's really considering it, like, the likely frontrunner for Best Picture. So... Well, it's amazing how the it's amazing how the momentum swings mm-hmm. because before the Golden Globes, I would not have thought of Three Billboards as a serious contender at all. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting Ooh. is as soon as that started to happen, immediately the attacks started on it, and so it's like that's probably going to switch again. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then because of that, Three Billboards could end up swooping around and winning because of like backlash to the backlash, and it's so. Yeah. See, that's backlash to the I... backlash to the backlash to the backlash. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Learn see, what's what funny is, to me, I didn't see any backlash. I, everyone I talked to hated Three Billboards. I mean, minus like two people that I know. Um, and that's why it's when I actually I did a a quick review on Instagram stories after I saw it because I had to screen it much later because all the screenings I was booked up. But and so when I saw it, I put it on Instagram and I really had. I'm like, look. I know a lot of my friends, the, the people I, not a lot, but the one, a uh, few that I'm really close to enjoyed this movie. So I'm going to put it as simple terms. I'm like, the movie's bullshit. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, I have my own opinion on why Backlash is starting now. Um, and it's pretty much, there aren't enough di- diverse critics that saw it or that mm-hmm. are working like, screened it or were given you know a sign to screen it and especially since it started in the festivals and a lot of um people like that serve like for my site or where I normally I write I target toward the Latino community I didn't get any festival you know I wasn't approved for the festivals or AFI or all that stuff because I'm a freelancer and a lot of minority critics don't work at big outlets because for the longest time they weren't hiring us. So it's not a backlash as opposed to maybe you should follow other people. <laughs> well, it, it did definitely seem like a lot of the praise, the initial praise, like the, the, the less mixed reviews certainly came f- primarily from white male critics. Exactly. Like that was that was like the first the first wave of three billboards reviews and then and there were a few things like you know sprinkled in there but most of it didn't particularly deal with the issues of race uh and and most of the like commentary about it was not so much on the um racial or gender issues and more on the fact that you know it, it's not a very well constructed film mm-hmm. and then now we seem to be seeing a lot more it's it's like people are getting louder or maybe they're just more people saying it. There seems to be a lot more people being like, no, this is not, this should not be a best picture contender. I mean, and I'm saying this as someone who actually enjoyed a lot of that film. It's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a best picture. Every single other film that was nominated 
uh, at least the ones that I've seen for the Golden Globes, deserved that award before Three Billboards did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was a lazy way at looking at race. And I mean, Absolutely. I had this conversation. I had a conversation with my husband kind of about this last night because so my, my husband is white. I like he's white as can be like Irish, German, Welsh. <laughs> um, so my whole thing, I'm like, and I uh, like, I don't know why it is. I'm like, but I find that the more and I'm like, and I'm not saying this is a race thing or something, but a lot of the white people I talk about are more open to like, oh, well, it, it's more than just that. Like, they're great people. They just have that one. Fl- I'm like, no, 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 no. If you're racist, you're a garbage person, period. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're a missionary, you know, or donating everything to the homeless. I'm like, if you go and you're, like, saying this stuff, like, what did she say? Uh, Fat little Mexican boys. Uh, Then the way that they handled the three African-American characters, they were kind of like what my friend and I like to describe, uh, peppered in bacon bits in a very white salad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Oh, God, I can take over the show and just talk about my disgust <laughs> over three billboards. So <laughs> I'm just going to stop there. Well, luckily, we won't have to talk about it again much <laughs> for the rest of the episode. But there is definitely a lot to say about it. So um, I do want to point out, uh, I think I mentioned this before, but I want to just re- reiterate that the Golden Globes are chosen by 94 people that are members of the Hollywood Foreign Press. They live here in Southern California, but they write for international outlets. There are oh, 94 God. of them. <laughs> we give them And they ask the way worst too much questions. Credit. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh. I was on a set visit, and I'm not going to name the actor because I don't want him to say anything, but he basically, he stopped. He goes, wait, are you guys the H- HFPA? And we're like, no, no. He's like, oh, good. He goes, so I don't have to expect questions like, what kind of speedos do you wear when you're swimming with your co-star? <laughs> I'm like, oh my, I, my jaw dropped. I was like, did they really ask you that? He's like, oh yeah. He goes, and that was the, one of their better questions. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've been to a few events where there were members of the HFPA there and they're like, okay, I'm not going to go there, but they're not as fun to hang around as some other people are. So <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just, that's my whole point is there are 94 of them. We give this show so much credit because it is a live broadcast televised show that happens usually while the Oscar ballots are in hand. So people who are voting for the Oscars are watching this. And I really wish that, I don't think a lot of people realize, even people that are voting for the Oscars realize how few people actually select the Golden Globes and how easily swayed they are by who has the best parties. I'm just saying. (laughs) So, Um, but another group that is televised and that gave out their awards this week was the Broadcast Film Critics Association. And so the Critics' Choice Awards were this week and... Um, if you saw me tweeting on Twitter, I was very upset because they were at five o'clock in Los Angeles and we didn't get to see them until eight o'clock in Los Angeles. And so I already knew all of the winners before the show ever even started. And I was very I, I loved your that. snarky tweets, <laughs> Thank by the you. way. I was so mad. I was just like, this is ridiculous. In 2018, there's no reason that should still be happening. They can, I mean, you couldn't even stream it. I went online to the CW, and it was like, oh yeah, our live feed is gonna start at 8 o'clock. I'm like, it's not a fucking live feed if it's starting three hours late. Oh yeah, that's the CW, though. I can't... 
Uh, I have sling. I cut the cord like two years ago, so mm-hmm. I use sling. And uh, nice. CW is not on their lineup at all. I can't watch any, like, um, so I love Jane the Virgin and Riverdale and uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Can't watch it live. I have to wait till the next day. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's so, yeah, well, we could go into that, but that's for another time. The Critics' Choice Awards were held this week, and some of the winners <laughs> were... <laughs> Sorry, I get off topic very easily. Um, Me too. <laughs> so on the TV side, uh, we had a lot of similar names thrown or thrown out as winners, which was exciting for The Handmaid's Tale won Best Drama Series. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel won Best Comedy Series. Um, oh, I neglected to mention with the criti- with the Golden Globes, but also like two another double winner this week was my boyfriend Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us. I adore him. He's and very sweet. He in person. is. Oh my gosh, he's the nicest person. <laughs> yeah, he's so kind and generous, and he knows that he is there because of his fans. So mm-hmm. he always stops and talks to them and takes pictures. Nicest guy. Yeah. I love him. That's when awesome. I told him that the whole reason I started watching This Is Us is because of his performance as Christopher Darden, he was just so sweet about that. And he was just like, what? Why? <laughs> I was just like, no, uh, dude, you're amazing. That's why. So, yeah, he really is great. And Dowd won for The Handmaid's Tale. I love Ann Dowd. She's in like four movies that are going to be at Sundance next week, and I can't wait. Um, David Harbour won Supporting Actor for Stranger Things, which um, was awesome but weird. It was like, wait, where's Alexander Skarsgård? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Foreign Language Film went to In the Fade. We can just skip over that. Uh, Best Actress in a Comedy, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya. So that was exciting for her. That's a good boost because she really is amazing in that film. Best Actor in a Comedy, and I promise we are going to come back around to this person, but James Franco won, and he skipped the ceremony mysteriously. That was so Shocking. weird. Shocking. <laughs> um, Big Sick won Best Comedy. Sorry, The Big Sick won Best Comedy. Best Action Movie went to Wonder Woman. Yay! <laughs> Best Animated Feature, Coco, which is... Yay! I love that movie so much. Um, oh, seen it three times, bawled my eyes out three times. So. I've seen it twice, and I definitely bawled my eyes out both times. So, so great. Uh, let's see. They give out way too many awards on the Critics' Choice Awards. They're, this list is, like, ridiculous. Um, Best Supporting Actress went to Allison Janney for I, Tonya. So she won again. That was exciting, as did Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Best Acting Ensemble went to Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Brooklyn Prince, the super cutie, went to the uh, for the Florida Project, went won Best Young Actress, and invited all of her co-winners to go out for ice cream, which is just ridiculously cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, best Actress was Frances McDormand for Three Billboards. Best Actor was Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. Best Director Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water, and Best Picture The Shape of Water. Yeah, oh yay! I was very excited about that. So, all right, so that is kind of the rundown of who has won stuff this week. There have been some other nominations that came up. The Directors Guild announced their nominations, and 
Um, so DGA announces, they do television and film, but they announce them in two separate things. But television, it's like, they don't, I mean, TV episodes, they have, they'll have like five directors or six directors on a show. So they pick out specific episodes, but on the film side, um, for best feature or for best feature film, we had Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, and Jordan Peele for Get Out. Now, what's interesting about this lineup is that four of them are first-time nominees for DGA. Ooh. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro, Greta Gerwig, Martin McDonough, and Jordan Peele are all first-time nominees. So that was very exciting for them. Christopher Nolan has been nominated. This is his fourth time. And, um... Who knows? Maybe fourth time's a charm, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> Just saying. Jordan Peele is a double nominee for DGA because over in first time feature film, he was nominated for that as well. Uh, along with Jeremy Jasper for Patty Cakes, William Oldroyd for Lady Macbeth, Taylor Sheridan mm. for Wind River, and Aaron Sorkin for Molly's Game. Now let's talk a little bit about Taylor Sheridan for just a second. Because... A lot of people have debated over whether Greta Gerwig qualifies as a first-time director. The general consensus, everyone pretty much agrees that, unfortunately, no, she's not, because she co-directed a film in 2008, Nights and Weekends, which made about $5,430 in the one week that it was in the theater. Mm-hmm. Taylor Sheridan directed a film called Vile in 2011. Now, apparently this film was never released in theaters and went straight to video, but because of that, because it doesn't have a theatrical release, he qualifies as a first-time director, while Greta Gerwig does not. That's Hmm. bullshit. That is. Let's discuss. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That logic does not make sense to me. (laughs) Yeah, no. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's the thing. Like, when I was looking through this, because I was trying to find out, like, did this really... You know, is this a rule? I can't find it, and maybe I just wasn't looking closely enough in the DGA rules, but to me, if a film is a complete film and, and it actually gets released anywhere, then it should Taylor Sheridan should have been disqualified. He's not he's not a first time director any more than Greta Gerwig is. And Greta Gerwig was a co director on her film. So it's like I, I don't know. This seems so unfair. My suspicion... It's looking at this, looking at Vile on IMDb, it looks like it has multiple festivals. Mm-hmm. There's a United States release, States release date listed. Right. It doesn't DVD have any releases. box office reporting on Box Office Mojo, though, so that's why I'm pretty yeah. sure it never actually was in a theater for money, but still, people can get it. You can access it, so... Yeah, I mean, if, if you're not going to count... Greta Gerwig, then you're not, then you shouldn't be counting him, like, exactly. at all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's ridiculous. Yeah. My suspicion is that, uh, well, it's possibly two things. Wind River is a well-directed film, and they wanted to reward him in some way, but they knew that he, they couldn't put him in for first, I mean, for feature film, overall, with the other mm-hmm. directors that are in the mix, and I think they wanted to reward him somewhere. So, I feel like they kind of bent things a little bit. They already knew Gerwig was going to be in, but I don't know. Hmm. Just, I don't know. It, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I can't even talk about it because it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, right. No, it doesn't work. 
Exactly. It feels very, it feels very shady to me. So. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, I forgot. I wanted to talk about a couple of other things that came out of Golden Globes. And actually, this fits in with the director conversation. <laughs> Natalie Portman. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> A hero at the Golden Globes because she was helping to present the Best Director prize. Who was who was her co-presenter? Ron, Ron Howard. Oh yeah, that's right. So Natalie Portman's there with Ron Howard. They're presenting Best <laughs> Director. He's about to announce the lineup of who was nominated, and she's like, "Here are your all male nominees." <laughs> And it was so great because, no, like, that wasn't scripted clearly. And everyone's just like, oh, she just did that. And it was like, you she, go, And girl. she she stumped Opie. He had to legitimately pause. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and the, look on, the look on her face was just like, yeah, I did that. Uh-huh. I did that. that. She steps back from the mic like mic drop. Yep. <laughs> that yeah. was, like, petty level queen. Like, I, Yeah. I was so with her at that moment, even though, yeah, yeah, Guillermo del Toro won, and he's Latin, and that matters, too, but, yeah, call it out. We have so many amazing uh, female directors that belonged in that that, uh, nomination and didn't get it. Um, Well, not so many, but at least one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I love that she called it out, and I love that Guillermo supported that she called it out. on Twitter later. Cause I think he was getting a lot of comments or questions like asking him how he felt. And he's like, she, she said, what did he say? I wish I could remember a quote, but he was like, yeah, he, she should go her. She should call it out. Cause it's correct. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There are a number of women who directed amazing films this year that should have been in that conversation. They fucking gave Greta Gerwig's film best comedy. Mm-hmm. But she didn't even get nominated. And I am so sick of this bullshit of, well, your film was great. Everything about it was great. But, you know, you weren't really the best. So we're just going to leave yeah. you out. Like, the, no. Uh-uh. No. You're good, but you're not that Exactly. Good. I'm actually no, working right. on a thing for, um, for another side project that is all about female directors over the years versus male directors where their films have been nominated but they haven't and vice versa and it's it's staggering like it's it's so ridiculous sorry what were you gonna say lauren no i was just gonna say greta garrick d reese um uh, sofia coppola uh mm-hmm. hell i mean you know you know what? i'm sorry if you're gonna put if you're gonna put ridley scott into that mix why not put patty jenkins into it because yeah. it's mm-hmm. just because it, wonder woman's a better film Ridley Scott was, everyone knows, Ridley Scott was nominated because of Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Not because of all I, the money in the world. It's not a secret. It's not a surprise. Yeah, it's just, it's such, it's such bullshit. It's the fact that, like, I, I've said this a couple of times on Twitter, I can name at least five female directors who directed, you know, some of the, and varying degrees of quality, but great films, many of which are definitely the the like equivalent of some of the directors that were nominated for the golden globes this year. And so just like, so there's no reason. And you're telling me that not even one of them could get into that category. Right. Mm -hmm. One. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and that's just something that we've been talking about a lot over the last week or two, because I know you've gotten this Lauren, I've gotten it too of, well, it's merit based and the women haven't earned it. Bullshit. Bullshit. It is bullshit, such bullshit. Bullshit. It, like I, I 
I was talking about this with somebody last week. I was at a press conference for 12 Strong, and they ta- they were, like, talking about how this director, oh, my God, you did such a great job. I can't – he – they gave him this movie with Chris Hemsworth as the lead, okay? It's not really the, a great movie or anything, but obviously there's a big <laughs> budget involved. The guy had only directed commercials mm-hmm. before that. Yep, yep. And they gave him this film with – a multi-million dollar star leading it and women patty jenkins had to wait what 14 years to Mm -hmm. go from an oscar nominated film to be given wonder woman what the hell exactly what the hell exactly (laughs) it's such bullshit and and you know in what i i love it that the one time that people begin rolling out the oh it's merit-based is like all the time we're talking about the fact that the Academy Awards, the Golden Globe, etc. are never merit-based. It's So much of it is about politics. Mm-hmm. So much of it is about, you know, what is acceptable to whatever the Hollywood foreign press or the Hollywood mainstream and all of that shit. And it's just like, so no, we're not, we're not only talking about merit here. And are you, and are you seriously saying, seriously saying that someone like Sofia Coppola doesn't have the same degree of merit as any of these other dudes? Come the mm-hmm. fuck on. No. Oh, exactly, exactly. Well, and the thing is, like, okay, if it's merit-based, first of all, that's objective, or subjective. That's not yeah. objective. Second of all, if it's completely merit-based, then why are there campaigns? Mm-hmm. 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 You know? I mean, if it's completely merit-based, then it should be obvious who the best picture of the year is, and there should be no disagreement. And there shouldn't even be need to be nominations, because... We know, like, oh, well, clearly this is the best film of the year. You can't even argue with it. So, I mean, yeah. that whole argument is so stupid. Yeah, if it's obvious, award shows go bye-bye. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then I have no job, and that would be no fun. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but ex- ex- exactly. And so, I mean, I, I just started making a list the other day, and I even left a ton of people off of it, some of them intentionally, just to make a point. But, yeah, it's like you've got D. Reese, you've got... Nora Toomey for The Breadwinner. You've got mm-hmm. um, Angelina Jolie, First They Killed My Father. Catherine Bigelow for Detroit. I mean... Dee Rees for I, Mudbound. Exactly. I <laughs> love that film so much. And I've just been like telling people, I don't care if it ends up getting snubbed for much-deserved nominations. Watch it anyway, because it's an amazing film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just ridiculous to me that we're having to have this conversation. I mean, you mean to tell me that in 89 years of the Academy, only four women have ever deserved to be nominated for Best Director? Mm. Fuck that. Oh my god. <sighs> and yes, I know there were five years where there were only three nominees, but still. <laughs> Come on. Still. You know, it's it's such bullshit. It's such it bullshit. Is. And the, the degree of... Ex- the the way the acrobatics that people go through to excuse it mm-hmm. is just shocking to me. I'm like, look, you can admit that you're just a fucking sexist. Like, go ahead. And it's all men. That's the thing. It's like, yeah. why do I keep having to hear about how not how not sexist Hollywood is from men <laughs> or French women? <laughs> well, okay, yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is a very good point. Catherine Deneuve is. Uh, made some comments this week and she needs to stop talking <laughs> i don't have the article in front of me so i can't get into specifics if someone wants to pull it up and talk about it we can that's fine but we can also talk about someone else who's amazing instead who said some good things this week and that was oprah 
Yay! Yay! I totally forgot to mention her speech when we were doing the Golden Globes recap. But one of the things that I love about Oprah, and one of the things that really stands out to me about her, is she's not, I mean, she says a lot of really good things. A lot of really important things. But the the thing about her that makes her stand out from other people who say a lot of really good things is the fact that she actually does it. She goes out there and she works her ass off and she makes a difference in people's lives firsthand. She doesn't just throw money at problems and hope that everything's okay. She actually, she actually does the work herself and it's so inspiring and so amazing. And, um, let's see. Okay. I have the transcript right here. And she says, I'd like to thank the Hollywood Foreign Press Association because we all know the press is under siege these days. But we also know that it is the insatiable dedication to uncovering the absolute truth that keeps us from turning a blind eye to corruption and to injustice. To tyrants and victims and secrets and lies, I want to say that I value the press more than ever before as we, as we try to navigate these complicated times. Which brings me to this. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. And I'm especially proud and inspired by all the women who have felt strong enough and empowered enough to speak up and share their personal stories. Each of us in this room are celebrated because of the stories that we tell, and this year we became the story. And she definitely goes on from there. She talks about Reese Taylor, and mm. uh, which, ugh, that was so powerful. Um and Reese Taylor actually died 10 days before the uh, the Golden Globes, um, just before her 90th, 98th birthday. She was 97. And um, she also talks about Rosa Parks. She talks about all these amazing people who just fought and made such a difference. And because of them, that inspired her to be where she is able to be. And Oprah now is the one that's inspiring other people. And it's such a beautiful story. And so... Congratulations to Oprah on the Cecil B. DeMille Award. Does anybody have anything particular that stood out to you from that speech that you wanted to mention? No, no, everything. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there was, you can't just <laughs> pick one part. Like, for me, the part that I love that she talked about all the sacrifices that people make. Because, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a mother. My daughter is ten and a half, so we're at that interesting age right before she goes to middle school and where her friends are starting to weigh in a little bit more than what I've said to her. Mm -hmm. So my constant thing, and especially because I don't want to raise an entitled child, um, is I, I've really taken it upon at least the past year or so to remind her and teach her about the sacrifices of people in the past. Because, look, you have... She is not going to go through her entire life not seeing herself represented on screen. I took her to see Wonder Woman, uh, and she got to see women leading and fighting and doing all this wonderful things. And afterwards, I talked to her, because to her, it was just great. I saw girls kicking butt, just like me. And I'm like, okay, but did you know that up until now, we haven't really seen that. We haven't gotten that. We've had to demand it and fight for it and ask for it. So that part really stuck to me as for because I am a parent. And I think we need to constantly remind people that, hey, everything that we have now has been fought for. And these people made sacrifices 
and where we need to learn from these sacrifices and make sacrifices ourselves so that we don't lose this and we keep getting more recognition, more inclusion, more diversity. So that stuck out to me. And I, I, I love Oprah and I'm so happy for her. Like she deserves all the awesomeness she's getting. Absolutely. Kim, Lauren, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I'm just going to echo that a, a little bit. And I, I liked the fact that she opened talking about being a child in 1964 and seeing Sidney Poitier win um, the Oscar for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. And, and she even, and I, I'm just looking at the transcript, and she, what she said was his tie was white, his skin was black, and he was being celebrated. Uh, I'd never seen a black man being celebrated like that. And that, you know, we, we talk so much about the fact that representation matters, that yes. it actually does mean something to have, uh, to, to not just see those people up on the screen, but to see yourself on the screen, to see, and to see them rewarded for it and to be given uh, Oscars, to be given accolades for giving these performances and that means something to that means something to children that means something to adults and it means something to the development of uh of our society and it was great to see her kind of boil that down and be like this is actually meaningful and hopefully me standing up here right now is meaningful to someone else Mm -hmm. and that's that's that was just wonderful and it was nice to see someone who is in so so much in the public eye anyways actually saying that being like this is important the way that we represent ourselves and the way that hollywood represents people is important uh and we can't ignore that because so often people tell us particularly white dudes (laughs) tell us (laughs) no it's not important it's like yeah yeah it is (laughs) and i was glad to see oprah say that absolutely kim any thoughts and I'd just like to echo, echoing all of that, and then with just the hope in the speech coming at just from where everything is, from politics to the, you know, constant garbage people coming out, mm-hmm. just the hope in the speech, the optimism behind, you know, the representation, thinking of it from, a, you know, perspective of, I, I remember watching the Oscars and Golden Globes when I was 10 11 years old just being able to look up to a figure like that and being able to see a woman up there saying these things going up against all this negativity that we have coming up from the white dudes in washington it's just great to see Mm -hmm. and i can see why all the president talks started right then and there because it felt at least to me that uh, the way Barack Obama kicked off the DNC in 2000, was 2007, 2006, whenever, 2006. no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no, before yeah. that, before he kicked off his campaign when he was still a senator. No, it was and... the 2004 DNC. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And that speech is what put him on the map. Like, yep. okay, we could see you as president now. We want you. <laughs> so that's, it just reminisced of the same message and, Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't get involved at all in the discussion on Twitter about whether or not she should be, because I believe anybody who wants to run should, and then we will make the decisions, you know, based on their ideas and their policies. But, uh, so I don't, I mean, if Oprah runs, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, I mean, we don't want to... I don't particularly want to necessarily get this into a whole huge political discussion, but Mm -hmm. the thing is that we're so divided and we're so just like 
things are just getting so ugly out there. And it's like the next election, whatever happens, we need somebody that can pull us all together and remind us that even though things get ugly at times, like there's still reasons to come together and to care about one another. And I feel like someone like Oprah, not necessarily Oprah, but if she runs, Mm -hmm. then great. But someone like her is... The message behind what she's saying is something that needs to be expounded upon. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people will latch on to what she said because it was so important and it needs to just be repeated and repeated. And we... But not just as sound bites. Like, we need to live this. We need to... Mm -hmm. We need to internalize this and we need to carry it forward. So... We need to worship in the house of Oprah, basically. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Um, I hate to make this transition this way, but I want to just finish off this part of the conversation with with the end of her the end of her speech. When she said, in my career, what I've always tried my best to do, whether on television or through film, is to say something about how men and women really behave. To say how we experience shame, how we love and how we rage, how we fail, how we retreat, persevere, and how we overcome. And I've interviewed and portrayed people who've listed some of the ugliest things life can throw at you. But the one quality all of them seem to share is an ability to maintain hope for a brighter morning, even during our darkest nights. So I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men, fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too, again. Getting a little misty. I know! I know. I got a little (laughs) choked up. Yeah, I know. It's so great. Um, Which is why I hate to take that into our next um, topic of Uh. discussion, but... (laughs) I will make the transition a little easier by talking first about Rose McGowan, who has a new series that's coming to E! called Citizen Rose. Well, first uh, first of all, I mean, of course, Rose McGowan has been one of the very vocal um, proponents on the Me Too movement. She's been very open about her experiences speaking out against Harvey Weinstein and everything that happened to her. She very famously called out Ben Affleck for claiming that he didn't know anything about it, which got her Twitter account suspended for a while. And so she is going to be doing a very a limited series. I think it's six episodes. Five. Oh, five I episodes. I pulled it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Five episodes um, on the E! Network. Which is dedicated to that choice concerns me. Yeah, yeah. That seems yeah. like a very weird placement, right? It's like, why would nobody else take this? Well, and the uh, Kardashian Network mm, is the only place that would grab well, it. Well, that and the the place that you know actively participated in gender wage equal inequality, yeah. Yeah. and she exactly. goes there. <laughs> Yeah. In a statement about her upcoming series, this is from Rolling Stone, McGowan said she is, quote, thrilled to partner with E to amplify her message of bravery, art, joy, and survival. Yeah. I was like, um, okay, thrilled to partner with somebody on this is good, I suppose, but yeah. Any any other network, that would have worked fine, but just having that be E, it's... It feels icky. Yeah. So, but, um, there, it's a docuseries. And it's, um, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to play out, like what, what the focus all is going to be. It says five part series, Chronicles McGowan, 
as E says, she makes her voice heard as a pivotal figurehead for the movement in speaking out against and combating sexual harassment in Hollywood and all works places. So that doesn't really say much to me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very shrouded in mystery. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of a strange thing. Um, I mean, Rose McGowan has been hit with some there. People have really celebrated what she's done and the fact that she's taken a stand, but there's also been some question on some of the people that she's attacked. She got very vocal against Meryl Streep when mm-hmm. those there were those posters that came up around Los Angeles saying she knew, and it was basically attacking Meryl Streep for supposedly what she knew about Harvey Weinstein, even though nobody knows what she knew or what she didn't know. And so Rose McGowan got in some trouble for just completely going after Meryl Streep for that. And especially when it turned out after the fact that those posters were replaced by an alt-right person who was just trying to cause some havoc. So, um, yeah. But the show, I think it's, I think whatever this turns out to be and whatever it ends up, uh, however it ends up being received, I think the fact that, that there is someone out there who's willing to give her a platform and who's willing to put some of this on television is definitely a good step. I hope that it, um, I hope that it goes well. well. We shall see. I it apparently will be on E starting on January thirtieth with a two hour premiere. So, but we do have garbage people to talk about because of course we do. <laughs> so this weekend, Not a week garbage goes people. by. Literally. Yeah. Literally. The only time that we didn't talk about garbage people was when it was fucking Christmas break and we weren't recording episodes. <laughs> All the garbage people were being home and quiet. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, okay. I promised we would come back to it. We'll talk about James Franco. Let's talk about James Franco. Let's talk about James Franco. And, and I'm not going to talk notes. about this because I have to go quickly edit out the part where we were talking about celebrity crushes last year. So, <laughs> you guys go. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to give the rundown on the latest with James Franco and his, I think, currently five accusers? Yolanda, why don't you go ahead and... Just like the quick gist is, I, it seems like they were all mm-hmm. students, and he basically forced them to do topless scenes. And he, I guess, he was doing some smaller films by himself, like on the side, and he would cast from his uh, students. And he had a couple of them involved in an orgy scene where uh, I guess the women were wearing like a plastic covering over like the, their vaginas. And he removed them to simulate oral sex. So it was like an issue of consent. Because I don't think the women that had the, the things removed were part of the complaint. But women that were in watching the scene or like standing off to the side, they're the ones that are saying this stuff. But I mean, the, then it also goes into the fact that he propositioned a 17-year-old over Instagram. Like we all knew about that story a couple years ago. Um and apparently he did it again with another 17-year-old. Um, that one is kind of iffy. But yeah, that's basically where it stands. And then um, someone where she was forced to, uh, I guess he made her give him a blowjob, but then they entered a consensual relationship. So that complicated her issue. But yeah, definitely five, and they're all young. They're all in their 20s. Um 
So it seemed he was taking advantage of his position as a teacher. Yeah, the LA Times article says four were students and one calls Franco a mentor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So abuse of power. Yeah. Now, he is, I mean, this is definitely not, of course, I, I hate that I always feel like I have to kind of add explanations to some of these things, but um, he has not been accused of rape so far. <laughs> um so what's the problem so far right so this is so this is like kind of it's still very fluid we're still not entirely sure what's what there are definitely issues of consent and he right now he stands accused of being inappropriate but what level that inappropriate activity and behavior rose to is still unclear the fact is this all started coming out, and James Franco suddenly pulled a no-show at the Critics' Choice Awards, which tells me that he really didn't want to be asked questions about it. When there was another event, too, I heard that he was supposed to have that got canceled. Oh, the New York Times talk, which is yeah. the, the yes. day after the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he can't. I don't know who canceled, but it was canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and everybody went, oh, <laughs> something's coming. So we are keeping our eyes open for more stuff with James Franco. By the time this episode goes up, who knows what will have happened. <laughs> uh, I laugh because I don't want to cry. Um, That's nervous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so another huge story that is still breaking, because I just pulled up the Deadline article, which even has more updated to it. This morning... Saturday morning, Elijah Dushku, who starred in Dollhouse with Joss Whedon, who we don't need to talk about right now, um, she <laughs> she also makes me sad. Yeah, she also starred on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She was 12 years old when she was in the film True Lies by James Cameron, starring uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. She has come out and said that on the set of True Lies, when she was 12 years old, stunt coordinator Joel Kramer sexually molested her. He was 36. He has done a number of films. He's been the stunt coordinator for years, and including recently working on The Conjuring. And she said that it was when she saw a photo of him with a young actress, a young girl, that that was what motivated her finally to speak out and tell the truth about what happened. So she claims, and I don't, I don't like to read the gritty details there, mm-hmm. the articles there, you can find out what happened. But basically she says that he promised her parents he was going to take her to the crew, to hang out with the crew and go swimming at the hotel and that they were going to go out for sushi and stuff afterwards. And so instead of going to the pool, they were in his room. He did terrible, terrible things. And she, the next day, told someone else on the set. And um, she says, okay, so first of all, he was still, like, trying to be all cutesy with her on the way back to when he was taking her back to her parents. But then after that, he started to be just kind of weird with her. She decided to tell someone who she describes as my tough adult female friend in whom I had confided my terrible secret on the condition of a trade that she let me drive her car around the Hollywood Hills. So I'll tell you if you let me drive your car. Um, So she told this friend who she does not identify. And the next day 
she was involved in a stunt that went badly and she ended up with broken ribs. He mm. was the stunt coordinator. He was responsible for her safety. And Well, that was a dangerous sequence. It was. Too, it was the, the part was with the Harrier the jet. jet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, of course, denied the allegations. So case closed. He's obviously innocent because he denied it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. This is, this is just awful. Uh, something that came up earlier today. <laughs> you know, sometimes, again, if you don't cry if you don't laugh then you'll cry but um something that was kind of humorous that came up today was someone i don't know who changed his imdb profile oh my god (laughs) it was there temporarily (laughs) i don't know how long it was there i know it was there for at least half an hour but um yeah it has changed back now but his profile temporarily said Joel Kramer is a known child molester. He repeatedly <laughs> abused children off set of numerous movies and then left their life in his hands on set during stunts. Child actors were injured on purpose during stunts or threatened with being injured if they didn't co- cooperate with the abuse. After, well, we don't need to go through there. But yeah, then it gets into some specifics on, on what happened to Eliza. And it just was like... Whoever did that, you are my hero. Thank you for doing it. That was great. Wow. But but here's the thing. She was 12. He was 36. And, of course, his story is that someone told him that she had a crush on him. And he was just trying to be friendly. And, you know, he what? would never, ever do anything to hurt a child. And I'm, I'm looking at his quote on Deadline uh-huh. here. And it, I treated her like a daughter. Dude, just stop. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah, this is horrible. So. Yeah, and then and then goes on to threaten defamation defamation and slander. because of course that's that's what you say in those situations. So what's interesting is the the latest update on the deadline article comes from Eliza Dushku's mother Judith, and it says she confirmed her daughter's account of the alleged assault in a comment on Eliza's Facebook page. She answered a commenter's assertion that quote your parents have some answering to do. Big blockbuster or not, my child comes to me and others saying they have been abused like this no chance in hell that child would be going back and then her mother wrote i accept your condemnation as eliza's mother no it was not her career that i feared for as that meant nothing to me i was afraid of joel kramer too and it was years later that i finally understood fully what really happened at the time eliza was too scared to tell the whole story and in a way i think she protected me from knowing because she knew how frightened i was of the powerful men on the set her her uh, this is weirdly worded. Her loss was the worst, but abuse can throw a wide net. I only began to understand this many years later. Thank you to your mother for what she did for you. I wish I had been that brave. Wow. So that was like... And then the other, the other thing in there, and I think it's in Dushku's statement, she says he had nicknamed her Jailbait yeah. on set. That is disturbing on so many levels that they would let that go on on set. Right. And it's like, so people know that he's calling her that. Why Why does anybody not say, like, hey, dude, like, knock it off, you know? And this yeah. is a guy who continued afterwards to be in a lot of, like, to, to work on a lot of films, a lot of television. He has a long filmography, and a lot of it involves stunts that have kids. And this is a case, like, we talk about, and that's what, what makes her mother's statement, you know, so powerful, too, you know, we talk about how well, women have kept quiet because they were afraid of what it would do to their, their careers, their their social lives, all kinds of things that are very real concerns. This literally 
was a threat to her safety and well-being and her yeah. life. Mm-hmm. She was involved in a stunt that was 25 stories. That's that's 250 feet off the ground. She could literally have been killed. So it's like, this is just... It's so disgusting. So I'm so glad that she, that she finally is speaking out and... Again, of course, people come back to that. Well, why speak out now? You know what? Fuck that. Knock it off. Yeah. Quit saying that. Yeah. It's bullshit. Well, his last two IMDb credits on film, Blade Runner and The Conjuring yep. 2. Wow. And The Conjuring 2 so has, has kids. Young, mm-hmm. Yep. Young kids. Lots of young children. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, but, I mean, the whole abuse of children in Hollywood, we've been skirting that issue for so, so long that I'm surprised we're not focusing a little bit more on that now with the whole me too, how many women have come out and said that, you know, the stuff that they were like sexualized at such a young age that mm-hmm. it kind of becomes like, okay to say things like jailbait on the set because, Oh, ha ha. It's funny. It's like, no, they're, they're children. I mean, recently, what was it? They, some publication put Millie Bobby Brown and said she was hot. She's 13 oh, yeah. she grew years up right old. before our eyes. That's what it is. She grew <laughs> yeah. up right before our eyes. No, she didn't grow up. She's still 13. She's a child. Yeah. So, I mean, I like obviously I believe Eliza and it's just tragic cuz I mean, just when I was googling to find those statements right now, so uh, I came across an article on Medium cuz uh based on Lindsay Lohan and like this article it was on medium claims that she was abused as well like why are we dismissing that issue and so Mm -hmm. i'm sure more is going to come out because it's never just one sadly Mm -hmm. well it's that it's that whole question of everybody likes to build up you know the child star going crazy oh you know the decadent hollywood lifestyle you know going back to spoiled little rich kid The spoiled little rich kid, and you, you know, the Lindsay Lohans, the Amanda Bynes, mm-hmm. the Corey Feldmans, to think of the trauma that some of these children probably underwent. Mm-hmm. It's sad. And the go-to exactly. is obviously to blame the parents. Well, if I was a parent, I would be there. But and it's you don't know the amount of control these people have over the kids. And I mean, it's normal for a child to want to protect their parent as well, not just the parent intuition to protect mm-hmm. your kid, but your the children. I mean, I still am protective of my mother. Like, I call her crazy, but if somebody else calls her crazy, I will be very angry at them. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, yeah, I mean, that is 100% true. A lot of times kids don't tell their parents, not because they're afraid their parents won't believe them, but because they're afraid their parents will be too devastated by that news. Mm-hmm. and that it will just crush them and that's yeah and so it's not it's not that the parents aren't willing to do anything about it or that they're willfully putting their kids in these situations it's that they don't have the facts and they think that they know their kids well enough that their kid will come and talk to them about something like this and they don't realize that kids won't do it for a lot of reasons yeah I mean it's it's very and I speak from as a parent like I if my daughter, God forbid anything like that ever happened to her. I, I can't honestly say how I'd react. I want to say I will, you know, as a parent, I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to go kill the bastard. But who you don't know until you're in that position yourself. And I don't wish anybody to be in that position. Um, but you don't, kids, especially she was 12. So she probably thought more about 
what would happen to her parents if she told or if, you know, because they were very powerful people like, uh, what is this, Joel Kramer and she was working for James Cameron, who was a very hot director mm-hmm. at the time. They could easily mm-hmm. bankrupt and bury her family and no one would even care, especially back then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So going from that, I mean, again, Eliza Dushku, kudos to you for having the the courage to speak out. And I just I hope that that you feel and that you're able to start to move on and and heal from the secret that you've been carrying for so long. I mean, that's awful. I just I yeah, Mm. I'm I'm so glad for her today because I know that what she's about to go through and the the stuff that she's going to get from people is going to be awful. But ultimately, this is how you heal. So going from that this week, we also had some news about Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg and all the money in the world. And this is an interesting story that my own mental process has kind of gone on a roller coaster of how I felt about this. So, um, basically what happened was, and apparently this news came out back in November and everybody missed it. But so we all know. Seriously? I didn't yeah. Know that. Yeah. The article that, um, has been quoted by a lot of people was originally published in November. I didn't realize that either. So what happened was, of course, we all know the news about Kevin Spacey broke. They dropped him from all the money in the world, recast it with Christopher Plummer and reshot it. Well, of course they paid Christopher Plummer because suddenly he was starring in this movie. Well, Michelle Williams was like, I'll do whatever you need. I'm there. This movie means a lot to me. And I will come back. And she just took a per diem, essentially. She got paid, like, less than $1,000 for her work. Mark Wahlberg's people negotiated $1.5 million paycheck to return to do those reshoots. And so initially I was like, what the hell, Mark Wahlberg? What are you doing? And then I started thinking more about it and reading more about it. And I realized, like... Uh, what the fuck, Sony? You knew you were paying Mark Wahlberg. Why didn't you go back to Michelle Williams' people? Which, of course, it's business, and that's why. But this is so this is so ridiculous. Like, it shouldn't even have been a question. Well, this is a so there. This is a huge studio making a movie. Well, there's more updates <laughs> beyond that, though. Like, uh, then it ended up coming that Mark Wahlberg actually has uh, what was star approval, so he. He yeah, wouldn't yeah, approve it unless he got his pay, his one point five million dollars. Is what I heard. Oh my gosh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, part I saw uh, articles coming up about that like a day or two ago. And then on top of it, they are they are both represented by the same agency. So yes. internally, yeah. the people that are yeah. supposed to be yeah, negotiating and protecting Michelle did not when they fully right. knew what they were doing for Mark on the other side. Which, what's so weird about that to me is the fact that they get a commission based on her salary, based on what she gets. So it's like, it was in their best interest, too, to get her some money for this. So I don't even understand what that was. And what's interesting to me, too, is that this is Sony, which, if memory serves, a couple years ago when there was that big hack of Sony, all kinds of salary discrepancy information came out. And salary disparity problems came out of that hack. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, oh, here we are three, four years later, and they're still doing this yeah. shit. Like, what the See, hell? See, for me, I'm not going to put it on the studio so much because um, they're obviously – this is a business. They want to do it for as low cost as possible. And they were – by what I read, they were put in a corner by Mark by saying, I'm not going to do the reshoots unless uh, – or I'm not going to approve of him unless you give me the money. So at that point, it becomes, well – we obviously can't distribute this film with Kevin Spacey in it. We need this replacement. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So I actually place the blame more on her, on the agents, like the representation. Yeah, her agents. Um, mm-hmm. And also because they knew and they didn't bother to say anything, uh, besides also fight for her, they didn't do that. They kept it and they kept it from her. They kept all these conditions from her in order for her to just go and do her work. it's uh, So that's yeah. where I place the blame. I don't think it's so much Sony, although they should own up to it a little bit, like that they knew this happened as well. Um, but I place the blame on the representation because they clearly went double-sided and then they did it in, did enough to cover up what they did. Right. Well, I, I Mark, also kind okay. of... I, I was just going to say, I also kind of place the blame on Mark Wahlberg because... You know, we all knew Mark Wahlberg was a dick, but this just kind of proves it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, the reactions. Mark Wahlberg's like, okay, cool, how much money am I going to get? Michelle Williams is like, this movie means a lot to me and I want it to be done right. Mm -hmm. And so, she, yeah, it's interesting the difference in approach. And, I mean, Michelle Williams is a much better human being than Mark Wahlberg is, too. Well, see, that's why... Sorry, what fascinates me is how long it took this to, you know, there to be any response from Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just today it comes out he's donating his salary yeah. to, or donating that money to He's donating up. the $1.5 million and an extra 500000 is coming from William They Morris. should pay more. But, <laughs> they should. <laughs> yes, they should. But this this broke, what, four or five days ago at least? So he's been sitting there laying low. See, waiting I, for so I'm not a Mark Wahlberg fan or anything. You know, I've met him before. I'm very indifferent to him. But I don't place so much blame on him because, you know, he's a working actor. His goal is to make money as well. So obviously sure. he's going to negotiate, um, especially when it's something so big. Uh, so I don't blame him for being a businessman. And I blame society for telling Michelle she couldn't be a business person and negotiating. Yeah. And that's why I, again, I fall back on the representation because they could have said, hey, look, Mark is doing this. Maybe we should talk about you upping your rate for the reshoots as well. That would have ended mm-hmm. everything. You know, like, okay, yeah, yeah. let's do that. <laughs> By the way, William Morris is making that $500,000 donation in Michelle's name. <laughs> of course (laughs) yeah it's like oh no see we're not that bad but no you're you're absolutely right Yolanda the problem the the real the real culprits and the real um villains in this are William Morris people it's not it's not Michelle it's not Mark and that's where I say like my initial reaction was like what the fuck Mark Wahlberg but now I'm like "Mm, actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I mean this is this is a big studio film this isn't you know, this isn't a little independent film and he's, like, taking advantage of the filmmakers. This is a studio who has the deep pockets. And so he was, yeah, you're absolutely right. He was he was taking care of himself and he was, I mean, yeah. 
I mean, that's what you he's do when he's in it for the business exactly. of it, obviously, you know, why, why you, uh, you're passionate about something. So you do it. But when you're at that level, you're going to do it for money. <laughs> so exactly. it, it exactly. falls back on society telling men, yeah, you can nego- negotiate what you're worth, negotiate what you're worth. And women being told, well, we're being nice by giving you this. So, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I just saw how long this show is running, so we're going to kind of skip a little bit of the news that we have. Um, I do really want to talk about Proud Mary, which came out this weekend. It is in theaters this weekend. It stars Taraji P. Henson, and there is some interesting um, goings-on with this (laughs) film. (laughs) Yonda, why don't you, Yolanda, sorry, why don't you give us a rundown on kind of what happened and how many press people got to see the movie before it was released? Oh, this will, this will be quick. Zero! <laughs> <laughs> what? Whatever do you mean? Absolutely. How could they not screen a big Zero. And, and they did have a junket for it, but I think maybe 10 outlets were invited. Maybe, because I've only seen videos from two <laughs> wow. Um, but they didn't get to screen it beforehand either. Because uh, I know I follow one of the girls uh, from Black Girl Nerds. Uh, her name is Joy. And she mm-hmm. conducted the interview with Taraji, but she went to a midnight screening in New York to go see the movie on Thursday night. Uh, and the other crazy thing is it had zero Thursday evening screenings, which. I well, think every film They were does. planned. They were canceled. Yes. I, People had tickets in hand, and those the, they got to the theater for 7 o'clock on Thursday night in L.A., and were told, oh, that's been canceled. We're not, we were told by the studio we're not allowed to release this film until midnight. Yep, 12.01. So, mm-hmm. zero. And at that, there was practically no promotion to be seen anywhere. I, uh, I have not seen a single commercial. On you know what? I did. And it was interesting because I, I started, um, I was on a Twitter chain with like uh, Ira and a couple other people saying, well, we just started seeing commercials and someone mentioned, oh, well, I passed by a billboard in North Hollywood. I live in North Hollywood. I s- saw billboards and I started getting commercials. But like I said, uh, I go, I, I'm on Sling, so it's all, every, all the advertisements I see are pretty much zip code based, so it seems like they had a few targets that they wanted to hit, and I'm on the borderline neighborhood of where it's, um, you know, more uh, urban and more, um, you know, low income and stuff, like I'm on, I'm on the not so low income side, <laughs> but um <laughs> So, but North Hollywood has a mixture of stuff. So I was like, well, I've seen it, but I don't, uh, I've only seen it in the past week or so. You're right. Like, yeah, it was interesting. Like for everything else, like uh, I was talking to my friend Courtney Howard when we went to see Proud Mary. I'm like, this is, I'm like, we're going to talk about this studio wise. I'm like, this is the same studio that screened the Emoji movie. They screened... passengers they screened i'm like these are they screen terrible movies all the time why didn't they screen this one I saw someone on twitter saying that like they're they're promoting the fucking peter rabbit movie more than they promoted this oh yeah exactly yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and it's like i i don't get it and so i did my duty 
yesterday and I went and saw it. Same. <laughs> and Same. I was in the theater. It was by the time I could get there, it was 1030 last night. And I was the first person to buy a ticket for that screening. I ended up not being the only person in the theater, although 10 minutes before it started, I thought I was going to be. But they were giving out these special, like, commemorative tickets, which I don't remember ever hearing about. No. So I was like, well, where's the promotion on that? Yeah, Regal Cinema was giving out these special tickets. I saw someone. It and was a collectible ticket that someone put yeah. it on Twitter. And I was like, wait a second. I didn't know those were... Yeah, they're doing this whole promotion, and it's like if you post pictures and tag Regal and stuff, you could win all these things. And it's like, okay, why aren't they promoting the hell out of this, you know? They hand me this ticket, I look down on it. Each one has the name of the theater and then a number. And mine was number 32 out of 1,000. So they got 1,000 tickets at this theater. I was the 32nd person yesterday. Oh, my God. And I was at the last showing of the day to buy a ticket for that movie. So I went to the second showing in uh, here in Burbank. And we counted, there was probably about 20, 25 people in the theater and various demographics. Like they were uh, a few elderly couples. There were a lot of uh, African-Americans sitting about, but uh, like the demographic was wide. So I just, obviously I think they all came because it was a Taraji P. Henson movie. Cause otherwise it's like, mm-hmm. where did you hear about this film? <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, well, why don't you give us a rundown, Yolanda? What did you think of, of Proud Mary? Non-spoilery. Non-spoilery? I think it wasn't terrible. <laughs> uh, I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> uh, there, yeah, there are, I mean, overall, it is boring. They, they kind of sold it on this fun premise of, you know, she's an assassin and all this stuff. And uh, I I don't think that's the story actually. (laughs) Well, here's the, yeah, here's the um, synopsis on IMDb. Mary is a hit woman working for an organized crime family in Boston. Mary's life is completely turned around when she meets a young boy whose path she crosses when a professional hit goes awry. Uh... (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. I mean, there's not, without spoiling it, you can't really say much, but it is, much slower than you think it's going to be. And there are a few things that don't really make sense. And in the end, I mean, the I think the last scene was really fun. Like the last action scene. When the Proud Mary yeah, exactly. song starts? Yes. And it, yeah, when I saw it, I'm like, this is what I wanted the whole damn time. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I mean, Taraji right. still did a great job. Like, she she led that film, and yeah, maybe it is boring and stuff. But she she did the work. Um, they said they didn't. She had to jump quickly jump into the role, so she actually didn't get retrained on any stunt wise, like holding the gun. She used what she remembered from her time at what was it, CIS and CIS, one of those shows. She was on Person of Interest. Yeah, I'm like one of those shows. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, I couldn't tell that she didn't know how to handle that stuff. No, I was talking to someone last night who was like, oh, I hope it's good. Please tell me how it is. And so uh, so afterwards, we were just kind of chatting back and forth on Twitter. And I was like, um, this movie is not good. And she's like, well, I didn't think Taraji could handle it. And I was like, oh, no, she's not the exactly. problem. <laughs> she actually, 
this movie made me go, I really hope a competent director with a good script gives her another shot at an action yes. film. Because she actually could do it. And I was like, wow, this is fun. And it was like, yeah, my, my feelings on it were, were pretty similar to yours, although I liked it a little bit less than you mm-hmm. did, I think. I kind of did fall asleep at one ah. point. But it was 10.30 at night, and I'd worked all day. Exactly. <laughs> so, but that's the thing. It's like an action movie, even if it is late at night, it shouldn't be making me so sleepy. Mm-hmm. And... Well, that's the thing. Like, if it's an action movie, I think it had way too many lulls, and they Mm kind of got stuck on delivering, like, this thorough line story, but... Which is funny, because it also felt really chopped up, and, like, there were key points of information that just should have been in certain (laughs) scenes that weren't, and I was like, what's happening And when I walked up, I turned to Courtney, (laughs) I was like, well, so my big conclusion is she is a terrible assassin. (laughs) Right. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But she has a good heart, and that's what matters. But I mean, it's not Taraji's fault at all, and I'm actually wondering, like, now that I've seen it, and now, because I've screened much more terrible movies, you know, and that screen way ahead in advance. And now I'm wondering, I'm like, some what happened? Because nobody's, everybody's staying quiet on why they didn't screen it. Taraji's not saying anything. The studio's not mm-hmm. saying anything. This, none of the director, the writers, it's kind of being like accepted that they didn't screen it and that they're trying to bury it. Why? That's what I want to know. I'm like. And that's the thing. And yeah, now that I've seen it, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's such a weird situation because it's not so bad that they need to be that that they need to be embarrassed about it or anything. I mean, if it was, then they would have just sent it to like Netflix or something and and hidden it that yeah. way. They didn't need to put it in the theater. They didn't have any confidence in it at all. I mean, the only thing I can think is that perhaps they just were trying to like let the audience see it without a Rotten Tomatoes. Score. Well, that's the other thing I was I was like, what? Maybe they're trying some weird. St- like I was trying to give the studio the benefit of the doubt. I was like, maybe they're trying. Which, by the way, is Screen Gems. Yeah. Well, the, which <laughs> is Sony under Sony. Exactly. Speaking of Sony. <laughs> but I'm like, maybe they're trying some weird strategy. Maybe they're trying the Star Wars route. Don't screen for press before the junket. But then again, they didn't really have a junket, and at least Star Wars had their screenings and premiere. I'm like, this is a weird strategy. What is the purpose? Yeah. And obviously you jump to the conclusion as well. They don't think a woman of color can lead an action film. And I I'm, I really want to give Sony the benefit of the doubt and say that's not accurate. But after seeing it, I'm, I kind of think that might be what they thought. And they're underestimating the audience that is out there. Because there is an audience for this. It may not be my cup of tea, but... There were others that I saw on Twitter that really enjoyed it. So. Oh yeah, they're like, this movie's great. I hope this is the first in a series. And yeah, people love it. It didn't work for me that I, you know, from a, I couldn't turn my critic brain off enough to just sit back and just soak it yeah. in. But, but it's not the worst movie. No. So. No. I mean, I've seen a lot more crap than that. In fact, speaking of which, why don't we talk briefly about. <laughs> So there's this movie out right now that a lot of people love that I hate <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and that is Phantom Thread. Yeah. Supposedly Daniel Day-Lewis's final film. And if this is his final film, then good riddance. Um, <laughs> it's because he's yeah. embarrassed. Sorry, Daniel Day-Lewis. 
<laughs> so Phantom Thread is set in 1950s London. The only reason I know that it's set in the 1950s is because IMDb told me so. The movie certainly did not. <laughs> I'm um, so glad to Reynolds know it's Woodcock 1950s. Is a rena- <laughs> right? Yeah. Reynolds Woodcock is a renowned dressmaker whose fastidious life is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who becomes his muse and lover. Oh, God. Alma. Yeah. Alma. Alma what? <laughs> Alma what? Alma. What is Just her Alma. last name? Alma the waitress. <laughs> Alma waitress. Um, so Lauren, you had some feelings on this. Why don't you start us off? Okay, now I have, I have to say to start out with, I'm not going to go into tons of detail about this, but I went in feeling like, okay, I've heard some very positive things about this film and I've heard some very negative things about this film. I'm going to go in and be like, okay, what are my feelings about it? So... I I was willing to go along with it for quite a long time. And then as the film began kind of coming to a close, so we got to about the last quarter of the film, I was like, this is not very good. <laughs> like it, it suddenly began kind of occurring to me that, that all of the things that, and there are some really interesting elements that are introduced that never pay off, that never get, that get carried through, like all of the, the sort of the aesthetic construction of the film itself, I'm like, okay, I can go along with this if there's going to be sort of a reason for it. Either, you know, in terms of the plot and in terms of the narrative or in terms of the subtext. And there never is a reason. This is one of those films that is just so immersed in its own aesthetic that it doesn't bother with things like characterization or, you know, narrative coherence or suspense, <laughs> or, you know... Or like an interesting those, plot. All of, or... those, all of those things that we put in cinema of, of, like, needing, needing, you know, like, characters that one can watch in and enjoy at some level, even, you know... Without wanting to kill. Well, and I don't have a problem with characters that you don't, that I don't like. Like, I, I can get into that. But I have to understand them at some level. I have to feel like that the film is giving me something to latch on to about them, even if they're terrible people. This yeah. film doesn't even do that. They're the coldest, dullest, whiniest people. And and when you get to the kind of the celebrated twist that, that comes in, <laughs> in the last quarter, it is completely unearned. It's incoherent. Like, it doesn't make sense in terms of what we've seen of these characters beforehand it wastes some of the really interesting undercurrents that I thought were, were beginning to build in some of the relationships. And yeah, it's just, it's, I, I, I left the film not feeling particularly angry about it. I've actually gotten angrier the more I've thought about it. (laughs) Uh, But, but yeah, I left the film just being like, well, that was just incoherent. That just doesn't like, it's not even, I'm not even going to sit here and be like, there's a plot hole. It's like the whole film is a plot hole. It doesn't make sense. It was lazy. The character relation, yeah, the character relationships don't make sense. So I, the the best that I I said this on on Twitter, you know, people keep on comparing it to Hitchcock and like, oh, this is like Vertigo. No, it is not like Vertigo. It is like Topaz. Topaz is a very pretty, completely incoherent film. That's the Hitchcock comparison. There you go. So that's my feeling. Yeah. Thank you, Kim. What do you think? This. I hated it. I, I, I can, 
Um, it's what Lauren said makes perfect sense. I kind of the first maybe, and it dragged. It fucking dragged for so long. I can't even tell you at what point I kind of gave up on it because I completely lost track of where I was in the narrative at what point and what act. It was that story structure was so incoherent. I, you know, as I'm like, okay, I could have gotten into it as, you know, a character drama in the first bit, but then it's just, once it started, I think where I completely lost it was the scene where he's measuring her for a dress in the first act. And On he their goes, first I'll give you, date, you, know, you mean? Oh, you don't, yeah, the date where he's measuring her for the dress. And he goes, I, I can give you, you know, you don't have boobs. I can give you <laughs> boob breasts, you know, if I want to. I'm going, so, oh, okay, so this is where we're going to go. And just completely, it's just started losing it from there. The treatment of the, you know, the, the fact that the female characters were literally just there to wear the dresses, um, going down from Alma, you know, no last name Alma, to the woman who was deemed so unworthy to, you know, demonstrate, you know, to wear the dresses from the house of woodcock they just took the dress off of her while she was sleeping oh the misogyny of this mm-hmm. film oh, shocking the misogyny yes. was horrible toxic and masculinity I exactly. celebrated in this year was so ridiculous this the timing of this film could not have been more tone deaf yes when i want i wanted to just go off a real quick what lauren said you know the hitchcock comparisons to me it was him trying to be hitchcock That was such a tone-deaf attempt at a director who wanted to do his Hitchcock movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, all the Freud in there that he kept injecting, it was just felt like such a simplest, simplistic, you know, armchair Freud. And I think, did anyone else see the shot that looked like a direct psycho homage? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the eyeball. Yeah. Yes. And that was... it felt like he wanted to do his Hitchcock, and that was it. it he wanted his Hitchcock, and he yep, blew it. absolutely. Now, Yolanda, you did not hate the film, but you also did not love it. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, there is, I don't think there's any redeeming qualities about the film, but it's very, to me, I, as, I mean, it doesn't take long to realize this guy's a shitbag. He's total toxic male masculinity right there, and he sees women as only in service to him, you know, like even his sister, um, which I don't remember her name, but sister. It's my little so-and-so, remember? That's what he kept calling her. (laughs) And I was like, fuck that. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, the second that got through to my head, I was like, oh, this is one of those. And I just, I was bored. I don't see the message. And the twist was stupid. It's like, oh, so you're saying that, now we're going to romanticize a very toxic relationship from, okay, um, why? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, if this, I'm like, there are, and it's not that we're to look for redemption in every movie character or anything, but there is no rhyme or reason for anything. Like, he is a giant man baby, and this is a movie about a giant rich man baby, and... I, I was bored. That's probably why I hated it. I didn't hate it because I already disconnected from it the second I realized. I was like, oh, okay. This is what we're going to watch now. <laughs> <laughs> See, I went into this film already. 
I went into it with the wrong attitude because I already expected that I was probably not going to like it because I am not a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. And I, so I went into it thinking like, okay, I know all of my male colleagues love this movie and they think it's so great and whatever. And I'm probably not going to enjoy it. I am sure they're not listening, but if they are, I would like to apologize to the octogenarian uh, Academy voter who was sitting next to me on one side and to the male film critic on the other who very clearly knew my feelings very early on because I kept rolling my eyes and sighing throughout the film. I apologize for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I hated this movie so much. I walked out. I It's very rare. And Lauren had a similar reaction with another film earlier in 2017. <laughs> Uh, it's very rare to walk out of a film feeling so angry that I just needed to tell everyone I could about how much I hated it. <laughs> but that was how I felt. with. So this is your three billboards. <laughs> there you go. There's at least one film for everybody. Just exactly. Like, I was so mad. Yeah. And that was how I felt with this. And one of the biggest reasons that I felt that way was because it, even though people try to claim it doesn't, it celebrates the toxic masculinity And the reason I say that is because of the fact that, no, it's not trying to redeem anybody, but they're definitely trying to give you some of his feelings. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a scene, there are a couple scenes this happens where they're having breakfast, and Alma, Vicky Crepes, she's there, she comes in, it's just normal for her, you know, it's breakfast time. So she comes in, she starts buttering her toast, and of course, what do they do? He's very annoyed by this, but in order to get you to why he's so annoyed... They turn up the sound effects, so you hear every scrape of that butter going on the bread, and you hear, like, the, the sounds of the granules of sugar as she's stirring her tea, and everything about that. They crank that up so that you're like, this is fucking annoying. Like, yeah, she needs to go away. And, of course, he gets mad, has a hissy fit, his whole day is ruined now because of breakfast. Like, shut mm. up, you know? And And so, for me... Watching that, I was like, this is, I don't care what anybody says, this is celebrating this dude, and it's making it okay for him to be this way, and I was just, mostly, the reason I was so angry was because of how many people love this movie, and I was like, this does not earn your admiration at all, and it just really pissed me off, especially in 2017. Going back, you said the IMDb description says that Alma's a strong-willed woman, I did not see her like that at all, ever. No! Because, I mean, Uh -uh. when we're introduced to her, she's already in service like she's already Mm -hmm. making sure he's taken care of like at where he's eating and everything is to please him already like uh so she likes to butter her bread that makes her a strong-willed woman i don't i don't think so (laughs) and from the first shot i think you're seeing it from one of her first shots you're seeing it from his perspective and it's he he watches her kind of cross the room and she trips and it's kind of like oh look how charmingly befuddled she is you know it's they set it up right from that first shot that you know he's there to rescue yeah, her she's given yeah. no backstory at all we know that well no i know she's belgian because she's a belgian actress i don't actually know where she's from from the context of the film uh we don't know anything about if she has family we don't know anything about where she was living before she suddenly is living with him and in in this weird like I think it was basically a non-sexual relationship except for one time. Like, I don't really know what was going on there. And then they, I don't know. But it was interesting because after the film was over, after the screening was over, I was standing 
the place that I was at had valet. And so I was there and I was waiting for my car and there was, there was a man and a woman standing next to me and they were talking about it. And she's saying that she was really bothered by the film. And he's like, Oh no, I really liked it. And he starts going on and on about why he liked it. And then he stops and he turns to me and he says, do you know, was this film based on a true story? Oh. And I said, no, it's not. And he turns back and he goes, Oh, then I didn't like it at all. That's funny. <laughs> I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so it's fine. I got, and you find <laughs> I got into it with a male critic yesterday about it. Sorry. That's my dog. <laughs> With the male critic yesterday, and he was arguing that, no, he's, he, yeah, he might be terrible, but so is she, so they deserve each other, and that's what I, what I thought, I'm like, she's, she's terrible, how? I'm like, she found a way to kind of get power shortly, but I don't even think it was, that was the cause of it, that she wanted power, I think she was just afraid of him leaving her. She found a way to make their relationship work. That's all it comes yeah, down to. Like, and it's a really disgusting she, well, way of doing mm-hmm. that. She's obviously terrible because she makes him asparagus with butter. <laughs> How like, evil. I mean, who does that? that? In what? Yeah, who does that? Honestly. No, there. It, it, this was one of those films where there were several moments when I was like, oh, this is the way that it's going to go. This is, okay, all right, we're, we're going to get the, I know the sister's going to do this and she's going to do that and it's going to be great and we're going to have a, you're gonna love it and it's like no oh you're not gonna do that you we're just gonna like what you're saying reinforce this very toxic relationship that i still don't understand why either one of them are even in it no nope. like, i do not get why these two people want to be together even this isn't even like a nice uh like a um this isn't like a heathcliff Catherine relationship where they hate each other but they love each other it's just like no you just you just kind of hate each other for the most part i i what is either what are either of you getting out of this honestly yeah exactly it's no yeah no yeah no idea they didn't answer (laughs) you'd have to develop characters to you know figure that out well that would just be crazy he couldn't be bothered yeah anyway so Good luck, Daniel Day-Lewis, in your future endeavors as a dressmaker. <laughs> and <laughs> and Paul Thomas Anderson, just stop. Just just don't. All right? So, anyway, that is what we've got for you today. We, um, let's see, if you'd like to follow the show, we are on Twitter at CitizenDamePod. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash CitizenDame. You can download the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. We are at Podbean, CitizenDame.podbean.com. And if you do listen through iTunes, please, please, please rate, review, subscribe. I forgot again to read our iTunes review. I have it right here. Sorry, I'm going to do it right now. Kay Fields says, and this, I have to tell you, this came on a day that I was getting a whole bunch of bullshit from a bunch of men, and this just totally made my week. So thank you so much, Kay Fields, for saying, finally, a movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of dudes talking over each other for an hour. I love the different genres that are covered, and although important issues are discussed, as they should be, the overall vibe is fun. So glad this exists. It feels like spending time with friends. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, we love our listeners. If you would just give us a little rating, that helps us so much. If you have time and want to share a review, we would appreciate that as well. Yolanda, where can they follow you on the internet? Uh, Twitter would be the best bet. uh, And it's sassy mama, M-A-M-A, in L.A. 
Definitely worth a follow. She's awesome. Lauren, where are you? I'm at LH Business. Also awesome. And Kimberly. At KPR624. Great. And you can follow, sorry, Kim's awesome too. Everybody's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can also follow Kristen Lopez at journeys underscore film. I am Karen. I am at Karen M. Peterson. And this next week I am headed to Sundance. So I might not be on the next episode, but Kristen will be back and they can all talk about all the movies that I hate that they love so (laughs) for all of us here at citizen dame we'd like to thank yolanda for joining us today thank you all for listening and we'll be back next week thank you Mary.